I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day and welcome to The Call, 10 stock picked by you two experts. One hour, it is Tuesday, the 3rd of January. And uh, also super buy January on the call. If one expert loves a stock so much, uh, they have to scream super buy. <laughs> so, and then it goes straight into the uh, uh, for the investment committee to consider. And um, the guest next to me is just um, a bit surprised about that. But uh, anyway, we'll see how that works. <laughs> uh, the two experts on our show today is Mark Morland from Team Invest. Mark, happy New Year to you. And you too. And also, what's that? Mark's today. Mark Gardner from Macro Capital. Mark, happy new year. Happy new year to you guys. All right. So, yeah, beware. Superbuy. If you're that convinced by a stock, you want to override the other guest, you can do so. And it can go straight to the investment committee. All right. So, um, just taking a look, in fact, at uh, what's happening in the markets today, it's actually down quite significantly over a percent. Um, that is despite, we were looking at the futures there, it was expected to be a positive. Um, Mark Gardner, what's going on? Why, uh, why are we so negative the first uh, session of the new year? We had a little bit of optimism on the open there. Um, and then, look, I, I think it's probably just maybe a little bit of New Year's tidying up, potentially. Uh, there's, you know, people have had time over the Christmas break to uh, read the thousands and thousands of, uh, you know, news articles and uh, pundits talking about a recession in the first half. Um, over this year, I think the timing is going to be a little bit slower than that. Um, those rate hikes were very uh, were very quick, and they'll probably start to bite. Um, I think probably second quarter of this year in the states. And um, but yeah, look, I think there's been from what I've read so over the over that Christmas break, there's been a lot of alarmist stuff uh, about the property market, about the um, about an impending recession in the press. So maybe uh, maybe mm. just a little bit of negative sentiment. Yep. All right. Um... Mark, what are your thoughts? This is a harbinger of what's to come, particularly in the first part of the year? <laughs> I think we're going to be in a very volatile year. I think that's the only conclusion we've got. We've got, yeah. we've just had uh, the highest rate of inflation. We've got the highest rate of inflation in 40 years. We've got the fastest increase in interest rates in, I think, in history. So that, that's two major, major things that are going to affect the market, for sure, to varying, to varying degrees. So I think, I think it's fair to assume that uh, it's going to be volatile. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we have record highs and lows mm. this year. I mean, it could, it could go up as well. I mean, it's not depending, yep. on, depending on what the Reserve Bank does if they slow down now and so on. But you know, there's it's. I don't see how you can actually predict it. I don't. You, we don't believe you can make investment decisions based on macro. Uh, yeah, sure. you'd be a brave person to uh, to make those predictions at this point. Yeah, wouldn't you? Uh, and of course, clear. the other problem is if you try and analyse it, it's like saying, well, what do I think will happen? So if I do a mm. bit of a scenario analysis and say, do I think Australia is going into a recession? Uh, in 23, I doubt it, yep. but it could. Mm. Uh, US is much more likely to be, if it's mm. not already. So that'll have an impact as well. So there's, there's so many moving parts. So how do you possibly say, well, if this, if this happens, and what about if that happens at the same time this happens? Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah, so many variables. Absolutely impossible. So the way, yeah. what we do is bring it back to what investing is all about, and that is giving you a reliable risk-adjusted return, if you want to use that terminology, um, over time and let compounding do the job for you. So we look at the opportunities when the market's down as being really good news because we're generally net buyers. Yep. We're not net sellers. So I, might, I, like, I like everything in my portfolio. I'm not trying to sell anything. <laughs> so uh, I have cash. Yep. So I'm sort of alert to buy good companies when the opportunity arises. But you only need, say, you know, 10 to 20 companies in your portfolio and there's 2,200 on the ASX. So consequently, we don't even look at 2,000 of them. Because mm. uh, they don't even cut, cut, get the first cut of get showing up as showing they've got good financials. Fifty percent of the market's losing money. All right. Well, let's see if there are any buying opportunities yeah. for you today. The first five stocks we're going to take a look at: Bank of Queensland, ASX, Hotel Property Investments, Blue Scope Steel, and Sandfire. Our stock of the day. Well, I actually threw it back on the guys here, um, the Marks. 
uh, for their one that they're actually liking at the moment. Mark Morland, you've picked Nick Scarly, down more than 1% today. Um, but you're seeing some positives here. Why have you picked Nick Scarly? Well, Nick Scarly has been a, an outstanding wealth winner from Team Invest members. So I'm a long-term shareholder. <coughs> so I'm very, I'm, except that I'm biased on this company, but it's with good reason. Uh, if you look at retail as a group, uh, which includes JB Hi-Fi and uh, AX1 and a few others, not a lot of others, but the good retailers have been very, very good value for a long time, meaning that their PE ratios have been very low. Like Nick Scarly at the moment is on 10.8. Uh, but his earnings growth is running at 19.6% a year. So in other words, the PE, it used to be called a peg ratio if you like, is uh, uh, negative in that the earnings are growing much faster than the PE. That's unusual if you look at it from a value perspective. So in other words, uh, that goes to what your returns are likely to be. Now Nick Scarly uh, has been an outstanding business. As I said it's got 19% growth rate. That's the average for the last six years. So they had a very good COVID. And then coming out of COVID, they've continued to grow the same rate. Uh, they have 91% stability in earnings over the long term, which is fantastic. We want, we like that because if you have a company that has very consistent earnings growth through thick and thin, mm. through COVID, through no COVID, mm. COVID was meant to kill retail, remember? Um, when you have a company like that, it's much more predictable to say, what are my returns going to be over the next five years? But if we're going into this year with the prospect of, if maybe not recession, yeah. but at least a downturn, mm -hmm. we're going to be buying less furniture, are we not? Maybe. Uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't believe uh, what happened in COVID. Yeah. Uh, what Nick Scarly does, by the way, is obviously they sell furniture, but they, they, what drives the business is a re a, um, people moving. It's not about property prices. So if there's, it's about volume. So if people are moving either from a rental point of view or purchasing, selling and purchasing or purchasing the first time, that's when they buy uh, new lounge suites and so on. So obviously in COVID, we had a lot of uh, boredom purchasing where people uh, were home, stuck at home, so they were buying furniture or cars, whatever, mm. buying anything. Mm. Um, I, thought, I would have thought that Nick Scarley's earnings would have come off after COVID and they haven't. Right. They've kept on growing. Now, that's very encouraging. Now, I would say, yes, there are some potential headwinds from a discre uh, discretionary uh, consumer spend point of view, but that's not a reason not to buy it. Because at the moment, with the current price, we're showing Nick Scarley returning 26% a year over the next five years on our default met metrics and 9.8 on a margin of safety which is excellent. And if you look at the dividend, they're paying 6.6% uh, fully frank dividend mm. as well. So uh, if you say right now, is Nick Scarly a good buy? Absolutely. Yep. The PE is in what we call the black, so it's in their mid-range. Um, it it you might get it even less, but the economics of the business and how reliable it is is fantastic. All right, so Mark Gardner, do you agree? What are you thinking of Nick Scarly? And I guess more broadly, the retail sector at the moment. Yeah, look, you're going to have to be very picky in the retail sector just based on the um, on the macro outlook. But it, just going back to what Mark Morland said at the start, there, it's one of those stocks that you know that really is high quality, and the macro really doesn't affect it. The management team are quite extraordinary. They've pretty much gone forward every single financial year that they've been listed. Um, this is one that I think it gets a little bit uh, slippery to the downside sometimes because it's very. Um, tightly held by institutions and it's got a high institutional holding um, and look they've had obviously had this holding for a long time they don't you know they take the dividend they don't really they know that the business is sound and they're not really getting in and out and look it, it so it does lack a little bit of liquidity sometimes um, we saw that when it got down to about seven dollars seventy I think um, you know early this year and look it and the market's thrown some pretty big downside moves at it since then and it's been pretty stable at 10 bucks so it yeah look it is at a PE of 10 that's fairly cheap for Nick Scully you don't you rarely get an opportunity to get it in that um, in that bottom third of the PE uh, it yields very well it, it's it's extraordinarily consistent um, and one really interesting thing we've had a you know high inflation this year and these guys have increased their um, their net margin, I think the AGM was 250 um, basis points and then it was another 180 in the four months trading update. So they're, in, they're actually improving their margin while we've got really inflationary um, mm. effects going on in the broader economy. So that just goes to show how good a quality um, the management is. And they've obviously, uh, 
They've, they've acquired those plush stores as well. Um, they've improved the margin there just immediately. Um, and look, there'll be economies of scale that'll be able to spread across there. I think they got that, uh, that they had that uh, acquisition vetted down uh, near on six months ahead of schedule. So it, it, look, it, it's one of those, you know, if you're gonna own a consumer discretionary stock, these guys have got the track record where you can, you know, you may you may see a bit of a wild ride because the sector uh, has a sentiment swing, but mm. It's probably more, more. you know, you're probably buying a little bit more. All right. I'm taking that then as a double buy, in fact, to Mark Morland. You're going to have to consider that then, the investment committee. <laughs> it, well, it's well, your super buy. You're putting it straight well, in there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, obviously put, I'll obviously vote for it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Let's get into the stocks as picked by you. The first one is Bank of Queensland, the regional bank. Gavin wanted to know about this. Uh, in fact, uh, it was that surprise announcement uh, last month, I think it was, Chief Executive George Frazis has left. Uh, stock has come off around 7% since that time. Uh, looking at its PE, it's around 9.7. That's comparing the average sector for the banking, uh, around 15 times. Um, Mark Gardner, what do you think of BOQ? Yeah, I'm, look, I'm nothing against the business. I just think there's better selections in this space overall. I think the financial sector will do quite well. Um, most of the big four, it's always the question, you know, constantly, which is, you know, which of the big four you want to buy. But I think that changes, you know, that changes quite a lot. You've got um, ANZ looking quite cheap relative at the moment with a PE um, around the 10 mark and a, and a fairly decent dividend yield. I think CBA's fallen back a little bit, but it's still a little bit expensive, but, you know, demands a premium for a reason. Um, but... Look, I, it's one of those things. I, I think with financials, I'm really looking at, uh, you know, Macquarie Bank is my favourite in the sector. It's got the best return on equity of any bank in the world for, you know, for a decade or more. Um, these guys, you know, the big the big four are really going to, uh, you know, they're going to make hay while the sun shines, obviously, with the net interest margin increasing. Um, but they're not, they're not my favourite. Um, businesses really, they they sort of apart from CBA, most of those big four just plotted along. Um, you know, Bank of Queensland had an okay result, and I think they rallied. Um, and then obviously they've had the fallout from their uh, CEO moving on, so all being um, mm. in that in the sector, I don't mind Judo Bank for growth. Um, I think it's quite cheap and is going to um, is going to do quite well this year. Um, and then obviously Macquarie as well. And look, if if these got, if, you know, if some of these regional banks pull back a little bit, uh, or maybe some of the big four pull back like a good five or ten percent, I'd maybe be considering them. But until that point, um, I just don't think it's worth the risk, particularly okay. with everyone so leveraged to the housing market. So is that a, a hold, or are you just avoiding it? I'm just avoiding it for now. Yeah, um, yeah. and I and I probably have a look once we. Um, you know, once we start to see the fallout of those fixed loans roll off yep. uh, in that February March period, and what the RBA is going to do, and to see if there's any going to be any pressure on the housing market, I might consider them after that point. Okay, Mark Morland. Yeah, I, I sort of generally concur with what the other Mark said. The <laughs> uh, banks haven't been very inspiring, apart from Macquarie. I agree with that. Um, and the CBA has been by far the best long-term performer of the big four, but it's actually really expensive at the moment. So the one thing that Bank of Queensland's got going for it is its PE ratio is actually the lowest of mm. all the, the banks. So I think it's currently 9.6. Yep. So it's down the low end. But I would argue that's probably rational for how they're, what their performance has been like. Uh, return on equity is about uh, seven, which is below our minimum. So we wouldn't even look at it. You know, so it's just not interesting for us. We're showing it returning about 1.9% per year. That's a total return over the next five years, including dividends. And they're paying currently, I think, uh, uh, 6.7. So basically what our system thinks is that the, you'll get a capital loss, which will take away some of the value of your dividends. So it's just not exciting at all. Yep. Um, interestingly, uh, comparing it to Macquarie, because I, I had a look at that, Bob, as, as well, uh, Bank of Queensland does 1.7 billion in sales for a 50, 509 million profit. Macquarie 7.6 billion for a $5 billion profit. So 65% margin in Macquarie, 30% margin in Bank of Queensland. Macquarie's paying half the yield at 33 but we're showing it returning 16.3% a year because their earnings are growing a lot faster. Mm. So um, if you're going to buy a bank right now, uh, without looking at little ones like Judo and so on, yeah. um, Macquarie would be the one. Um, and that's currently on a 14.5, which even though the P is higher than Bank of Queensland, that's totally justified, of course. All right. 
So your earnings are much better. So you're, you're avoiding it as well. Oh yeah, we're interested. No, yep, I'm a no. Okay, all right. Moving on to our next stock, it is the ASX itself. Mike Wellington about this. In fact, it's down around 25% over the past year. Uh, of course, it has those issues too. It ended up abandoning its chest replacement. Uh, plus, it's facing competition now too from SIBO. So, Mark Morland, how do you look at ASX? Uh, ASX long-term, I do have members that have been long-term shareholders in it. It's been, up until this recent shenanigans, it's been an excellent, uh, solid in, uh, solid investment, but it's always been expensive. So it's always had a very high PE relative to its earnings growth rate. So it rarely got up from our point of view with our minimum rate of return we're looking for. Usually we're looking for 10% minimum, otherwise we're not even going to look at it. And uh, ASX has been currently showing 8.6. That's, with, that's assuming the earnings hold up and the earnings have been very stable. Um, in the past, uh, because the share price has come down, it's actually improved that somewhat. Usually, ASX would have on a two or three percent return. Which why would you do it? Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't. You know, it just didn't compute. Even though it ha- it passes all our filters, it's been a very solid and consistent business. I think their failure that they of their new uh, blockchain-based uh, chess system is a disaster. Mm. Uh, I think they've blown two hundred million. Now, when you put that in context, I think ASX is uh, profit ma- profit. For the year is 508 million, so it's like nearly half their profit effectively yeah. is as a write-off. But it's worse than that because they're they're going to have probably class action uh, from a lot of the brokers out there who have spent a lot of money adapting to their new system and doing all the testing and so on. So there's an unknown liability there, and they're also uh, absolutely under the hammer with from the regulator in that they failed to live up to their responsibilities in the market. So what was going to be a state-of-the-art world-leading system is now means that's all been chucked completely. And they're going back to an antiquated system that has all sorts of uh, problems uh, that's basically 20 years old. Mm. Um, So we've gone from going to be world-leader to now ratchet. And this is basically a monopoly, effectively, on uh, a lot of the business. Uh, regulator supported monopoly. So, and the way ASX handled it was appalling. And they sort of go, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll, look, we'll move on. It was like, yeah. what? Hang no, on. Nothing to see No, no, nothing see to see here. here. I mean, <laughs> give me a break. Yeah. I think it's a disaster. So oh. uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it. I think the, the risks of the liability and damage and potentially even uh, their ability to hold their position um, as a semi-monopolist position in the market mm. is questionable. Yep. All right. Mark Gardner. Yeah, I'd echo most of Mark's comments there. And I mean, apart from the 250 million that they've obviously had to write off there, they're, um, they've also uh, then, they're gonna have to spend this money again. <laughs> so, I mean, and they've obviously got the class action liability as well. Um, I think Senator O'Neill described the management as asleep at the wheel. Um, look, if this business wasn't, you know, a semi-regulate uh, monopoly, then, I mean, it would, this would be a, a catastrophic, realistically. And um, and I think management really needs to wake up and just start treating this like an actual business, not just like, you know, a protected species. So, and the, the regulators coming in now as well, um, and I think ASIC and the RBA are going to have oversight. So, I mean, look, there's three... I mean, the ASX is a slow-moving behemoth, and now we've introduced two more slow-moving behemoths into the mix to get things, go, you know, to get things going. There'll be more... There'll be more checks when they get the uh, checks and, um, and balances where they have to go and uh, redo the new system. So you can imagine, um, I mean, this has taken four or five years. They're, uh, now they've introduced other mm. government bodies. I can't imagine it's going to take, it's going to be a very swift process to get something up and running. So, you know, at the open interest in, uh, on the future side is down a good 10%. Uh, bond markets are extraordinarily thin. Volumes are down from last year on the ASX. We're not going to have as much M&A and IPO activity in a, in a year where we're going to have, um, obviously, recessionary. Um, and, and I think that premium for the monopoly now is, you know, isn't justified. So, yeah, I, I, we, we were out of this a while ago um, and, you know, we've been justified. And I, I, until, basically, until they get their act together, I really wouldn't be considering them necessarily again, particularly yeah. with what they yield and what you can get in a term deposit. Like, it's one of those ones on the list now where, you, well, why take the risk? Okay, well, that's brutal reality from mm. the marks then. Uh, it is an avoid for ASX. Mm. All right, uh, we better lift the pace. Let's uh, move on to hotel property investments. That is the pub's owner. Um, it's got around 60 properties worth more than a billion. 
Um, so uh, interesting space to be in. Mark Gardner, HPI, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, having a look at this one, I, I don't mind it. Um, at the, but for us at the moment, we're in the REIT space, we're really only considering industrial REITs. Um, because basically the uh, the demand is way outstripping by two to three times minimum uh, the supply that's coming on and um, and there is some the COVID uh, really did bring some manufacturing back to Australia um, and also you know the online shopping um, phenomenon is obviously really good for those distribution centres so um, but you know these guys they've got their uh, they got their debt fixed um, I think forty million at um, on a, on a seven-year basis at four percent, or just under four percent, and then I think they've got twelve years at four point seven percent. So, their you know their debts at least fixed. They're trading at a fifteen percent discount to NTA. Um, but as again, you know, you can find things like Goodman Group and CIP, which are you know best-in-class uh, businesses in the industrial space, which are trading you know twenty to twenty-five percent uh, discount to NTA at last valuation. So. Look, while I don't mind this business, I mean, they don't, they're not in the hotel property operation. They sort of own the bricks and mortar. Um, they've got some pretty high high quality uh, tenants uh, with Endeavour and, um, you know, Woolies and Coles and things like that. So, um, so look, it's, they've got good tenants um, and they're not really necessarily going to be affected by the new pokey laws, but, you know, that may affect the profitability of some of their tenants, though. So, yeah, look, it's something that I, I wouldn't consider at these prices. It doesn't really stand out to me as a roaring buy. Um, and, look, it's, as I said, it's out. Of, it's not really a subsector we're particularly uh, mm. considering at this stage. All right. Shall I take that as a hold? Oh, look, it's a hold if you've got it. But yeah. yeah, look, if you're looking to put fresh money into rates, I would recommend something like CIP or uh, Goodman Group. Yeah, obviously you favour the industrial uh, sector yeah. instead. Uh, Mark Morland. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to agree with all that as well. Right. <laughs> uh, I'll just add, though, that the, they're paying a dividend of about 5.8%, uh, but that's all you're going to get. Because this business, because of the nature of the REIT and so on, they distribute yeah. all the uh, earnings and effectively what you're doing is you're saying, what am I paying to get that? And the current PE is on 16.7, and that's going to return. We're showing returning about 6.9, so just slightly more than the um, what the dividend amount is. But in an inflationary environment we're in, that's not very good. Yep. So why would you do it? Because there's no upside on. I don't think from a capital growth point of view. So it's really these sorts of things. Uh, if you want to own them, you've got to buy them well. And at the moment, it's it's uh, in the top. It, well, it's a bit over halfway up on its PE ratio. It'd have to be below 14 and a half to be in the green, but mm. no interest. All right. If you hold, if, if you're in it, do you hold it? No, I wouldn't. No, you'd sell it. Well, depends on what you're in it for. It's a bit hard to make a comment like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's move on. The to... dividend's okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, at least you're getting something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on to Blue Scope Steel. Simone wanted to know about this. It is the largest steel business in Australia. All has also operations in New Zealand and the US. Uh, interestingly, though, recently it did lose that uh, case with the ACCC against. Uh, where it was uh, accused of price fixing, uh, the ACCC finding it, it has in fact done that uh, over the course of the past decade or so. But of course, uh, as far as Blue Scope going forward, you've got to consider what's going on in terms of construction and, this, and so on, how that's going to affect its business, Mark Morland. Uh, this is a difficult business uh, and in, from, a comp, from a complexity point of view because they're operating in the US as well. They have mm. very strong brands with uh, Zincaloom and Colorbond and so on. So they've got a, they're, they're large in Australia, but they also do a lot of uh, uh, low, low height industrial in the US and also um, residential and so on as well. Uh, and they've got an arc furnace in Ohio, I think it is, where it's the old Rust Belt area. So what they're doing is they buy, they buy up all the scrap metal so they're not buying uh, new iron and they're reprocessing all that into their into strip, I think, and so on, which I think is a very good business, a nice niche. Mm. It's a, they're a smallish player, but that can be big from our point of view. Uh, so there's a, I think there's a lot to like about it. Looking at the financials, they look great. It's got a 28% return on equity at the moment and the EPS growth rate's running at 27%. Now they had a, it, it dropped off a little bit in COVID, going into COVID and since then it's rocketed up. So they've had a very, very good recovery in earnings um, out of COVID and yet it's on a, three PE. So it's only three times earnings at the moment. So unless somebody knows something I don't know, and I don't I don't follow it in detail, so I couldn't yep. give you a chapter and verse on what's going on in the business. But on there's an enormous margin of safety in this business at the moment on that on that PE. Now never has a high PE. I'm showing it running into the red, which is the top quartile at about eight point four. And it's currently three. 
and we're showing a margin of safety return of about 12% a year for the next five years and our default figure is 53. So in other words, what that default means is if if um, uh, Blue Scope can continue with their current EPS growth, which is pretty, you'd be, it's pretty Herculean, mm. at 27%, yep. um, you'd get that sort of return. But what I'm arguing here is at this price, there's a lot of, a big margin of safety built in. And I'm, I'm going to say it's a buy on limited understanding of details. Okay, qualified buy. Yeah. Mark Gardner. Yeah, look, the steel business is a tough business. Um, and I think the macro picture is probably going to see this one, you know, rightly or not, uh, out of favour for probably at least sort of six months, I would have thought. Um, they, they, they recently confirmed their earnings guidance, about 800 and 900 million. Um, they, and they, look, they, they are going to have some growth in the US part. So it, um, if that business really starts to kick off, you know, I'd probably be looking at this. We're looking at sort of industrials like, you know, this and maybe James Hardy and things, which were the, basically the worst performers. Well, Blue Scope wasn't, but the um, the bottom three performers in the ASX 200 were uh, Blue Scope, Boral um, and Reliance Worldwide. So, you know, they, those guys are already pricing in quite a decent sort of downside in the economy. Um, I, I think you'll probably get this cheaper at some stage, uh, but I agree with Mark. Like, the business looks pretty solid, and I, I just think, just think that these, these sorts of businesses will, will just be out of favour on suspicion for a while. Um, but look, on a long-term point of view, I think you you know somewhere around here is fine. Um, I'd probably just be looking to get it um, a little bit lower when the market um, inevitably has one of those sort of in, you know panics at some stage this year. Yeah. Okay. So you're both looking to buy, but perhaps. Wait till so well, this is one of those cheaper. ones where you, you, unless you're lucky and you can time the bottom, because yeah. I agree, it could easily go down more. If, yeah. we, if we have a market drop, it will go down more if the market goes down. Yeah. But it, it's so hard, or it's nearly impossible to time that. The way we would look at it, assuming I wanted to buy uh, Blue Scope now, at that kind of PE3, which is already, as we said, a lot, enormous amount of negative forward estimates built in, it's very cheap. And then you don't go all in. So if you're going to put in, say, 100 grand or whatever it is, buy like put 10 or 20 in now and just buy it over and just average in. Yep. And if the market comes off some more, buy some more. I think that's the way to deal with it because if you, depending on your investment time frame, we work on five years, so we're looking at rolling five years. Mm. And on a five-year horizon, I think you look back and go, this was very cheap. Okay, that is Blue Scope. Let's uh, round out the first half with Sandfire in the copper space. Nick, wanted to know about this. Um, it's uh, just in the past six months actually been on a roll. Uh, it's share price up about 20%. It's also had that Matza copper operations in Spain that uh, that it bought into. And of course, more broadly, I guess, the uh, many are uh, confident that copper is going to be moving higher uh, as perhaps we pivot from lithium into copper in terms of the electrification of the planet's concerned. Mark Gardner, how are you looking at Sandfire? Yeah, I'm a big fan of copper this year. Um, the underlying uh, commodity, um, there's a lot of issues going on. The two biggest exporters of copper in the world are uh, Chile and Peru. Uh, both uh, Peru's had you know, uh, failed coup. Chile, uh, Chile's rewriting its constitution from... Um, you know, from the 80s, and realistically, that was very in favour of um, you know not not so much the people, more so more so the uh, the miners and businesses. So I think there'll be you know there'll be increases to royalties and things in there as well, and they are clearly the two biggest uh, in the world. So we're going to and I and I think we we're, we're looking at uh, it was I think Goldman's and a few others have said you know uh, roughly I think the average is about a shortage of um, 180 thousand. Um, megatons of copper over the next 12 months. So, a lot of the old, a lot of the mines are basically very old, and the grades are dropping significantly. Um, I, I, I think Sandfire itself, there's a lot of capital expenditure going on for this one with that massive mine there in Spain. Um, I do like where they are geographically. They're not really in South America. Um, but I, I think overall, where you'll get a better opportunity when this reports, because I think it's probably been brought up a little bit on um, on the thematic a touch, and then you know I think what it'll like your price will pull back again when mm. reality comes home to roost that they're uh, they're still a while away. Um, but they do have great resources. It'll be one that um, 
be one that I'd definitely be looking at uh, based on the next couple of reports and how that new mine's going. But uh, at the moment, that wire ETF has a little bit in it. Um, there's a bit of a BHP and a lot of really high-grade copper miners um, globally. So it's one from beta shares that's launched in the last sort of few months. Um, I think that's a much better way to get some copper exposure at the moment. Uh, average PE of about 6.4 across that ETF. So okay. it, it's a better it's a better option there. All right. So it's a weight then uh, as far as... It's a weight, yeah. yeah. It will be good at some stage. All right. But will likely disappoint for a while. Okay. Mark Moore. Uh, no interest to us. It's uh, difficult as well because this is, as we talk, as Mark was talking about, you, you, you need to have, have a view on commodity prices and where that's going to go. Yeah. If you just look at the financials, uh, they're currently operating at about 6.5% uh, return on capital. Now, and they've made several acquisitions. They're just completing another one now. I think they've got the uh, uh, Spanish approval for the Matio one. And so I, you really need to understand all that in detail to be able to have a view on uh, are they going to be able to convert these resources into profitable uh, tonnage? And so I wouldn't have a clue. So all I can look at is and say, well, it doesn't pass our filters, and we're showing it returning 4% a year based on what it's been doing. So that's projecting five years out on the current form. Mm. So we'd be a no. Okay. All right. Well, let's sum it up the first half of the show. Our stock of the day, as picked by Mark Morland and um, Mark Gardner agreeing, Nick Scarley, the furniture retailer, uh, both um, like the business. That's probably why Mark Morland picked it, because uh, he's looking for for uh, opportunities at the moment. So it's a double buy as far as Nick Scully is concerned. To the stocks as picked by you, Bank of Queensland. It is an avoid from both. Uh, if you want a stock in the financial sector, Macquarie is the pick. ASX. Uh, it is an avoid also from both, given the disaster of its abandoned chess replacement project. As I said, there's more pain to come. Hotel property investments, a, uh, a hold from uh, Mark Gardner, uh, but he does prefer the industrial REITs and Mark Morland, it's an avoid. Blue Scope Steel, um, it is a tentative buy from, uh, from both, uh, just a question of timing. And similarly there, I guess, with Sandfire Resources, a weight from Mark Gardner, but uh, as far as Mark Morland's concerned, doesn't uh, pass the filters there at Team Invest. It is a no. All right, let's um, get into the latest portfolio. The call is tracking uh, as picked by our investment committee. The latest episode is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the update. Uh, into December, end of the new year, BAPCOR and Domino's were removed. Index and Janison Education were added and Elders weighting, it was increased. So in terms of its performance, it's up 6.5% on a cumulative return basis since the beginning of March. So keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Coming up in January, the call super buy. All your favourite experts, one super buy. If an expert really loves a stock, all they have to scream is super buy. And it will go straight to the investment committee. All of January, exclusive to the call. Only on Ausbiz. Yep, super buy, watch out for it. Maybe Nick Scarley meets that metric then. Uh, so that's a potentially uh, one for the committee to consider. All right, the next five, we're going to take a look at Gold Road, Sims, Mervac, Bubs and Adbri. Let's get into the gold space. In fact, looking at to the performance of uh, today's uh, stocks and gold, perhaps one sector which is managing to find some green uh, there. Uh, so in terms of Gold Road, it is the mid-tier producer. It's up around 50%, in fact, over the past six months. Uh, and a lot of those gold stocks are certainly improving, particularly as the US dollar weakens. So Mark Morland, 
do you like gold? And if uh, so, no, we don't. We don't. We actually. It's not that we like gold. I, I've, yeah. I've got some gold. I like gold, but it's you not mean a, the physical asset, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. But it's as, a, as an investment. The problem is with the gold miners. At least you're getting a, a leverage to the gold price. So if you believe the gold price is going to go up substantially, I have no idea whether it will or won't. Um, if it does, then although it lifts, the yeah, rising tide lifts all boats. Mm. They've only got two years of profit though. So I've got like uh, ten years of history here, and they were losing money until the last two years. Um, and they made nine cents in 20 and four cents uh, in 21 and then six cents on the trailing 12 months so at least the you know they're now producing and making a profit mm. but for us we need a minimum basically five years of history to be able to draw any conclusions on how well they're running it and I'll give you an example Northern Star some time ago you know going back many years now you looked at it and it, it, they ran it like such a good business that the earnings were growing uh, with incredible stability, their dividends growth was fantastic. You would, and you'd say, what do these guys do? And you say, they're gold miners. And you go, what? How, could they, you know, how can they do that? And it was just brilliant management and obviously there, a lot of things went their way and it was all good. I have no idea. So I'm not saying it's bad or anything. I'm just saying I can't make a judgment on it. Yep. So I'll pass. Okay. Mike Gardner. Yeah, gold road for me. Um yeah, look, I'd probably prefer Northern Star if I'm going to be involved. Um, look, it's been a tough couple of years for gold investors. All of the right things have managed to materialise for them, inflation and, um, and you know, obviously printing of US dollars and things like that, and look, gold just hasn't gone anywhere, um, which is, you know, usually I think the, the last gasp uh, sort of statement at the moment for gold bugs is, you know, when the rate cycle finishes, um, you know, they're that's when basically gold will start to kick off. But look, I, I don't really get the gold, uh, the gold thing. I just, it's not really much industrial use for it. I'd much rather be in something where there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be an actual demand for it. Um, it's, I think it's a bit of an antiquated investment theory uh, with, you know, with gold, um, you know, with the fair currency system in place and the gold standard went out with Nixon. So it's not really, you know, I don't really get why um, people are, you know, people are still clinging on to that. So, I mean, this one's not too bad. It's, it's like kind of expensive. We have had a bit of a recent run in the gold stocks, um, but I'd probably stick with the big guys. We we don't mind this one um, from you know from the small players' point of view, yeah. but more something that we you know we would rather play in the big guys until we get the confirmation. Yeah. All right. So the likes of Northern Star, as you mentioned there. So would you call this a hold then? I Look, Evolution I quite like as well because it's actually yep. got decent copper mix. Okay, but would you hold this if you have it? If I if I had it, I'd probably hold it. Yeah. Uh, dividends are going to go up next year, so but, but look, it's just not for me. Fair enough. In a void. Okay. All right, let's move on to Sims. We were talking about scrap metal before uh, with uh, with Blue Scope, and uh, its last trading update had a sort of dismal outlook there, um, and it suffered a share price as a result. Uh, talking about tough tough uh, trading conditions, uh, highlighted in August and likely to persist into the first quarter um, there and uh, in the year ahead. So, uh, Mark Gardner. Sims, um, and I guess, you know, particularly the state of the economy and what we're looking forward to, certainly the first half of the year. Yeah, analysts are expecting there to be a drop of about sort of 75% in earnings per share and about 60% in dividends per share next year. So this is sort of something that, I mean, whilst it's been slightly priced in, I mean, if you're going to look for something in the steel sector, slightly different. These guys are a little bit more scrap, but if you're going to, you know, if you're you want to be in the sector, and you, uh, I think Blue Scope, which we spoke about earlier, is a far better business and a far better option. Um, so, and I just, I just sort of wait to see uh, Sims Metal play out a little bit. Um, yeah, it's it, it really isn't something that, you know, it hasn't hasn't got a fantastic outlook. Um, you know, like I said, from the analyst point of view and from their own point of view, and it doesn't really yield enough at this stage I, I and and the macro is not going to favor it so mm. if you're going to risk your money risk it on something a little bit higher quality like blue scope i would have thought yep okay mark mm, yeah yep. and uh, no, i agree with that and it, from our point of view one of the telling problems with uh sims is their stability uh it's currently uh running at um, uh, 43% or something. So yeah, very low stability, which means yeah, their earnings go up and down like a yo-yo. Not to make share price. This is about the actual business and how they run it. Now, whether some you know, some of that could be uh, COVID-related. They took a massive drop in 220. 
So they went negative, they lost money there, and then they've jumped back up. But then as Mark said, the forward statements are showing, showing big drops in earnings, same thing. So it's like, like a roller coaster. Mm. So how do you make a judgment on that? You know, to say, I want to invest my money reliably and get a, a predictable return. And the answer is, uh, I can't. Yep. All right. So no. Taking that as a double no then for Sims. Getting into property now with Mervac. Um, Perry wants you to know about this. It is the major housing developer. It's primarily, obviously, apartments. And once again, need to focus on what's going on with the economy. And I guess also, Mark Morland, the issue as far as immigration is concerned, is that likely to be a tailwind or is it still way too early? Uh, well, uh, I suspect it will be a tailwind yeah. eventually. Yeah. Um, but I think they said, I read this morning that we were going to, our population was going to be down a half a million yeah. or something. Well, that's right. Yeah. Because, of the, the, because we basically stopped immigration yep. through COVID. So there's a, the reality is it's going to take time, isn't it, to mm. A, catch up. I imagine they'll catch up that plus more. So I think uh, immigration will be a big, big player in what happens down the road. But when that will be, I don't know. And I don't know how you can use that in an, in an investment thesis other than saying, that there's going to be perhaps a tailwind with immigration on um, uh, on these, particularly these built-to-rent properties and so on. Perhaps. Well, and the government's the plan to build a, a million oh, houses, but yeah. I mean, how is that going to affect? So if you look at Mervac, yeah. going back on the financials at the moment, they um, they're they're losing money. Well, so return on sorry, not losing money. The return on equity is five uh, percent, which is about half our minimum. Um, the PE is actually down at, in the green for them in, at uh, fifteen. Current share price about two dollars thirteen, I think. We're showing showing a negative return uh, going forward of minus three and a half percent a year on default and minus eight on a margin of safety. So in other words, our calculations say that if you buy Mervac at the current price today, you will lose money mm. over the next five years. So forget the tailwinds and headwinds. You know that basic proposition doesn't stack up. If that stacked up really well, and then you say plus, I think they've got tailwinds. We you start having developing an argument. So a straight no. Yeah, okay, that's simple. Mark Gardner. Yeah, look, going through their uh, investor presentation, um, there's a lot of statistics about basically there being quite a shortage in um, in residential development um, and, and, you know, that uh, demand is going to very much outstrip supply. Um, what it didn't really address was, you know, that that's fine for the sector, but, you know, it didn't really address too much about how... Mervat was going to necessarily capitalise on that. I mean, stats are great, but if you don't run your business well, um, it doesn't really matter. So um, these guys, look, I, I think there'll be, you know, we're going to have residential fairly negative um, for the next, you know, for the next six months at least. Um, there'll be a readjustment period because there's quite a lot of, you know, there'll be a very large chunk of the market out there that never had a mortgage that wasn't, you know, low low single digits, um, and I think that's going to sort of start to bite. Uh, and as I, as I said at the start of the show, there's there's a lot of negativity around the property market in uh, in the press at the moment. So I do think you'll get better opportunities. Input costs as well are going to be a bit of an issue for these guys um, with inflation uh, rising as well. Um, that should obviously hopefully drop away in you know relatively quickly for well for the whole market realistically but um but yeah i i just development's not really i'd rather be maybe in something like a james hardy or something like that where where you know they're um you're not you're not having to basically lend a lot of money to go and do a development and then mm. obviously having to sell that out at a lower price based on what you think with the rising input costs and then a potential dropping in uh, in your in your sale price then um it's not a great combination overall. So that, it'd be a wait and see for me. I wouldn't be holding it. Um, I'd probably just be selling it and, um, and sitting there and just wait and see. All right. Um, gee whiz, we're not doing very well in the first half, the second half of the show. I say we're too negative on those three stocks thus far. Let's see what you think then of uh, Bubs in Infant Formula. Did well, of course, uh, given that shortfall in the US and they literally flew in their stock. Um, gross revenue up more than 100% over the year and it's also built a partnership with Amazon uh, as a direct retailer and uh, then of course it's also got its Chinese Daegu revenue is growing at the same time. Mark Gardner, what, what do you think of Bubs then or um, you know obviously he's done very well, well uh, this past year, what's 2023 hold? Yeah, it's basically how this US um, 
you know, growth sort of pans out. Uh, the partnership with Amazon's, um, you know, is is a really positive thing. Um, China reopening will potentially be a positive thing as well. Um, from a business point of view, um, you know, if you're looking at the financials and things, you're probably not going, you know, you're probably not looking at buying it. But um, from a speculative point of view, I think it's not a. I think it's not a bad. Um, but getting that FDA approval in the states, I've got a friend who actually has a, bit, a business similar to this. It's going um, in, in private equity phase, and uh, getting that FDA approval uh, sped up for Bubs was fairly significant. It was probably you know a year ahead of schedule. So, and that is quite a difficult thing to do. A2 Milk tried and, and couldn't get it done. So, and they're you know they're a bigger company. So. I think um, I think conditions will improve for these guys, and look, it has traded much higher. I, you would, yeah, you wouldn't be putting a hell of a lot of money into it, but it's. I think it's one of those ones you could probably say is a speculative buy, um, and, but just you know, be very wary of your allocation size. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be allocating a huge amount to it. Mm, okay, um, Mark Morland. Um, you mentioned the financials there. <clears throat> I know you're going to start at that point. Yeah, I'll start on the financials. Yeah. Uh, it's only 189 million market cap, so it's a small, it's a small player. Um, that's not a problem necessarily. But they they lost last year. They lost um, um, 11 million on 89 million in sales. So apart from what Mark described, which was all very very strong developments in the market and so on, they still managed to uh, continue. Which I think it's now their. Uh, I think it's uh, ten years of uh, uh, ten years of losses, so they've been losing money since they started. So there's a point in time where you say, okay, they've they've got these these approvals in the US and so on. Well, when are they going to start making a profit? Mm. Um, and I wouldn't touch it until they start making a profit because mm. uh, there's as we talked about with other retailers and so on. There's other businesses that are nowhere near as risky as this. So I think calling this a speculative buy. Is is yeah okay? I can't argue. That's exactly what it is. But I wouldn't buy it as a speculative buy, right? Because I don't do speculative buys. <laughs> so I'll just put it on there. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, a so good uh, point. I, yeah. So uh, no, I wouldn't wouldn't be interested until I saw them actually, because that's about fifteen percent. They're losing fifteen cents on every dollar of revenue. Yeah, it's not good. All right. Well, let's round it out with that, Brian. We're back in the building space. Uh, it's the building materials company, and. Uh, it had a disappointing trading update, this most recent one there, uh, revealing that profits will be down materially uh, due to higher costs. Um, so, Mark Morland, Ed Bright. Uh, it's the old, it's the old uh, Adelaide Brighton cement. Yep. Yeah. So these guys actually do over a million tonnes of lime a year in Australia, which I thought was an interesting stat. That's a lot. Mm. So they're the, they're the, I imagine, the number one lime supplier. Uh, this has been a disappointing business for a long time. I used to be a shareholder in it. Yeah, a long time ago, and their business model was, you know, it sort of went up and down with the house, with the with the construction cycle as you'd expect because they're supplying cement products and so on. But also, they used to have a play on real estate because they do they build quarries and so on, and then mine the quarry out and then eventually sell it for developing land. So try and buy on the outskirts of uh, population growth, which is which was always you know, appealing, sounded good, mm. and they did get some lumpy uh, profits that sometimes actually did well. Currently, it's on an eight point five PE. So it's at the bottom of the green. Uh, their PE has been up over 20. Um, so the market doesn't like it. So it's had a big slide down. And if I look at their earnings, uh, and the reason from our point of view that's justified is over the last six years, their average EPS growth rate is minus 10.6. So in other words, their growth rate is negative 10. Mm. That's not good. Okay, so uh, sales have been flat. So they're actually making less money on the sales which are fairly flat. Um, return on equity, return on capital fail as well. So it won't get up on our filters. We're showing it returning negative 4.1% a year on a margin of safety and plus six on a uh, on a default measure. So much better things out there than that. That is a no. All right, Mark Gardner. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I'd have to echo Mark's comments there as well. Really, um, there. As I said before, the you know in the ASX 200 last year, the three bottom performers were in that um, in that building space. And look, James Hardy and uh, you know and Boral and Reliance Worldwide are actually decent quality businesses. Um, so it'd be sort of how we've approached the tech sector for the last 12 months is basically we, we decided it was a sector to avoid um, based when we saw that the interest rates were going up and the growth stocks were going to be coming back off. Um, and we basically, we've set a plan with the clients whereby 
pick your favourite two or three high quality tech stocks and in, and until we get fully allocated in those, then we're not going to go anywhere near anything else in that sector. So I think this year will be very, very probably very similar for this building space. Um, we'll, you know, we'll probably look at um, you know, Goodman's is a little bit of a crossover because it does a little bit of development. Um, but, you know, your James Hardy's and your Borrells and things, well, uh, and Reliance Worldwide, um, you know, they're, they're high quality businesses, which, you know, until we're fully allocated in those, Danbury's is sort of really, and for all the reasons that Mark said, um, is that, you know, we're not going to go, we can buy a f far better quality at, um, Relatively cheap prices um, in much better much better run companies. So this is this is way down the list for us. So yeah, I, and I, and it's got macro headwinds for the rest of the year. Infrastructure spending. Um, I think the New South Wales government has delayed some stuff as well. Um, we do have infrastructure coming through the pipeline from the, the COVID spending, but I dare say that governments, you know, with interest rates going higher. They're probably going to try their best to pare back on those a little bit and then pare back on those commitments. So, it, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, cement will be, um, will not be, will not be needed as much, I wouldn't have thought. And, you know, I, I, I think you will, uh, you'd be probably waiting until at least sort of maybe Q3, Q4 mm. this year before you're even starting to consider the, the, the high quality industrials rather than this one. All right. A no from you then as well. Okay, let's sum up the second half of the show. Uh, began there with Gold Road. Uh, Mark Mullen doesn't really like gold stocks, um, and this doesn't meet his metric, so it is a no. Uh, likewise, Mark Gardner actually prefers Northern Star and Evolution. Uh, Sims, um, we're talking about particularly in that uh, that building sector. We've covered a couple of stocks here. Um, it is a no from both. Uh, Mark Gardner making the point. Blue Scope would be a better option there. Mervac in the uh, it's the major um, apartment developer. A no from Mark Mullins. Uh, it's losing money or will lose money. He says Mark Gardner. Um, he maybe wait, but more inclined to sell at this point. Uh, Bubs, which has done very well in the States, given that shortfall they had in infant formula. However, is the best past it? Well, Mark, uh, Mark Morland making the point that it's been losing money for the past 10 years, so it's an avoid. Um, Mark Garner, speculative buy, but he'd still be very wary. So don't tip a lot into it at, at this point, is his, uh, is his advice. And finally, Adbri there. Well, it is a no from both uh, Mark uh, Garner. They're talking about those macro headwinds that it's certainly uh, facing uh, at the moment. All right. Well, that was pretty negative for the second half of the show, I've got to say. Well, we, we trouble <laughs> trouble is the viewers choose crappy stocks. <laughs> right. It's your fault. Right. All right. Well, thanks to our guest. Well, at least you, I, that's why you picked uh, the one at the top of the show, Nick Scarley, which well, was... Was the only thing I could be positive yeah, about? Right. <laughs> okay. Just as well I asked then. Uh, now, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email to call at ausbiz.com.au or you can tweet us at Ausbiz. TV. Mark Morland, thank you for joining us from Team Invest. You're welcome. Great, Great to see you. All right. And uh, Mark Garner, thanks for joining us from Macro. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank Good you. one. All right. Uh, stay with us. The uh, Small Caps is next. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.